Morning. My voice is a little better this week. A little better. If you need a a Bible, Jim's got some, and you can just raise your hand. He'll be glad to give you one. I love this time of year for a lot of reasons. I uh, even as they were Beth was leading us, and they were leading us, and Beth says, is singing that song. I was thinking about just going back over the years and growing up. My mother just lived for the month of December. Um, our house, when she got through with it, remember those great big bulbs that you see something? Our house was covered, and we had a little bitty 800-square-foot house, and she had that puppy covered in, in those big old bulbs. And she had no idea how to give gifts, but she sure liked doing it. We, we joke about it all the time. I, I have a nephew that is about six years younger than my son. So when they were little boys, Andy was about 12 and, and Josh was six. And so for Christmas, my mother gave Josh, the six-year-old, a chemistry kit. And she gave Andy, the 12-year-old, I forgot, what did she give Andy? A speak and say. You know, you pull the thing and the goat, the goat said, that. so she gives that to the 12-year-old and the six-year-old. Yet, they may have been younger, maybe like 10 and 4, and, and, and Andy was like, oh, Josh, I think that's supposed to be mine, and Josh was like, no, grandmommy gave it to me, and my mom just, she had no idea what she was doing, but boy, she sure loved it, and she, she couldn't drive, so she just loved to get in the bus, go downtown to Goldsmiths, and just hang out, and didn't have any money, but she found ways to, to get stuff my dad didn't know about, and then he'd freak out. And uh, I remember one Christmas, she brought my dad a pair of pants, and my dad's nickname was Slim. My son, for example, who's walking across the back, my dad was, he looks exactly like my father, and they were about the same size, 6'2", about 140 pounds. And my mother bought him a pair of pants that three of us could get in. And I won't tell you what my father said, but it was funny. And she just absolutely, and so my younger brother, whose uh, birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks, will be, let's see, woo, he'll be 59 this year. And his middle name is Noel, except they pronounce it Noel. Or no, no, they did say Noel, didn't they? Kevin Noel. It always had to be Noel. And the reason his name is Noel is he was born in, on December 12th. So my mom said, I got me a Christmas baby. So she was... And the Lord, in his graciousness, took my mom home on December 19th, uh, 1999. And my mom had a tough life, and I remember doing her funeral. And, and the one thing I remember saying was my mom had the best Christmas this year she ever had. I didn't mean to do that, but uh, it's okay. Holy Spirit handled all that. So let me mention a couple of things to you, and then we're going to get into to, uh, what we're going to talk about, kind of let you know what we're going to do uh, today over the next couple of weeks. So... I do want to mention to you, just as out of gratitude, uh, Debbie was telling me the thing with the ladies at Galloway this past week and, and the stuff that you brought. They were really appreciative of that. And it's just cool that you can do little things for other people this time of year. Uh, we, we do it year-round with our, our help group, do some amazing things. But there's special little things we do. We've got the angel tree stuff coming, so that means next Sunday my office will be filled with toys. And I get my, ch- my choice, and then the rest of them get to go to the the children at Galloway. I think that's only fair. So just leave me enough room to get in there to my palatial office and find my desk. It's, uh, uh, and then a couple of you know, other things going on. you got the Life Choices bottles out there. It's cool just to fill those up with change and, 
Uh, I saw a great thing this week about uh, some of you who know who the Grizzlies are, Jaron Jackson. I went to see them play at Toronto Raptors. My son-in-law and his graciousness, his company, took us uh, Tuesday night. We got to sit right on the floor. You could get sweat on you. And, and my granddaughter said, Daddy, or Daddy, she said, Granddaddy, uh, Grandy, I forgot what my name is. She said, Grandy, she said, Grandy, I can hear him cuss. And I said, yeah, it's just like at home, isn't it? So I, 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 so I said, yeah, that, that's the beauty of sitting on the floor. You, and you watch the Toronto Raptors play, you understand what basketball. They are so talented. But anyway, the Grizzlies have a rookie named Jaron Jackson who is going to be, in my opinion, could be rookie of the year. He is an incredible basketball player. We're watching him. And so they had this little commercial they run, and my son Ryan texted me yesterday. And I'd seen it, but he texted it to me. And so Jaron is sitting with his father. He's got the big Christmas book out. He's going to read him a story. But, you know, father reading to his little boy. Well, it's current, like right now. 19, he's 19 years old, but he's seven foot tall. And he's sitting with his dad, who also played in the NBA. And he's got the big storybook out. And he says, son, here's some advice for you from the book. How to double your money. You take it, you fold it in half, and stick it in your pocket. <laughs> Great wisdom. So I don't know what that has to do with anything, but uh, it is nice that you can take like your folding money, put it in a little bottle, put it out there, fill it up with change, and then it goes to one of our mission, one of our missionaries, the Life Choices. I do want to mention to you that the a couple, one other thing, and then we will move on. The family night on the sixteenth, uh, we're going to do it. At, we do every year at the Bartlett campus, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a, a short little worship service service time. We're going to have a carnival, a bunch of fun stuff going on. So. That Sunday night, if you can make it, I always wear my famous Christmas sweater Peter loves so much. So I'll have that on. Sunday night, December 16th at 5 o'clock at the Bartlett campus. If nothing else, you can come see my famous Christmas sweater. All right. Here's what I want you to do to start. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We will get to Acts chapter 10, but I want us to start in Matthew chapter 1. We're sharing about... Advent today, and I really appreciated the song about Emmanuel. Here's what I want to do as we walk through different things in the month of December. This month, on the 16th this month, two weeks from today, we will celebrate, we opened our campus here in Arlington 12 years ago on December 16th. And it's just interesting to me to look back over, over the years and see all the things that God has done in, in many Many ways. What I want us to focus on is the body of Christ and as believers, and really appreciate what Peter had to share this morning. And if we think about the Advent candle and our beautiful banner and all, I just love Christmas lights. I love listening to Christmas music. Here's one of the things I would challenge you to do: you drive around as you listen to Christmas music, even the secular music, some of it, about, even about Santa Claus. If you listen to the words, what's being implied is the message of Jesus Christ. And for us as believers, you can meditate on truth. Be encouraged, be motivated to go out and live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to think about as we look at, still some in Acts chapter 10, as we think about who our Savior is and his great commission to us as his body, as his church, is to go into all the world and make learner followers of him, that he is the Savior of the world. The world celebrates it at this time of year. We celebrate it every moment of our lives throughout the year that our Savior is the Lord God of the universe 
Jesus Christ. So there's two words I want us to keep in our mind as we look at different things in Scripture over the next few weeks. The first words, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Very famous verse. Quoting from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. A prophecy by the great prophet Isaiah 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ that a Messiah is going to come. He will be Emmanuel. And that's the first word I want you to think about. Emmanuel. God with us. Not God out there. Not God in the nebulae. Not God only in our metaphysical concept. But God with us. He came to earth. He became a man. He chose to redeem us. He gave to us. Christmas, we give. We've talked all about giving already today. For God so loved the world that he gave so that we might have the greatest gift that man has ever known, the gift of eternal life. Life in its essence. Life in its true meaning. Life in it with purpose. Everything that it was to be about plus eternal life. It was made possible because of Emmanuel, God with us. Now turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So the other word that I want you to keep in your mind and meditate on, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And here's the, Latin, the phrase at the end, full of grace and truth. And we're going to get to that. Full of grace and truth. So two words I want you to think about. Emmanuel, God with us. And the incarnation, God in the flesh. That's what it literally means in Latin, in the flesh. God in the flesh for us so that we in the flesh could be redeemed we in the flesh could be given that amazing gift of eternal life. We talked about lighting a candle of hope. And yesterday, Peter and I participated in the funeral of Gene Drake. And I've known Wayne and Gene, Mary can correct me, but close to 40 years. And just dear friends, Wayne's a, a very special friend and the exciting thing about celebrating a life, Gene was 88 years old, but to celebrate the life of someone who's a friend, but more importantly, a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that she's had such a horrible year, an open heart surgery about a year ago, and it's just been so tough. But Wayne's testimony through all of that and, and seeing what God does in the life of a believer and how a believer faces death and deals with it. The death of your wife of 43 years, she died on their wedding anniversary last no, uh, no, last Sunday. And as you celebrate that, 
You realize the significance, and you've heard me say it many times, my favorite word in the Bible to describe what it means to be a Christian is the word hope. We have something that non-believers do not have, and the word means a confident expectation. Jean Drake, because of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, had the hope that absent from the body is present with the Lord. She went home. She went to the heavenly city, and I talked about some of those metaphors yesterday. And so the exciting thing for us to share at this time of year, as well as August, any time of year, any moment, to someone else, particularly a non-believer, but even to a believer, is to remind and, and, and wane. One of the things we talked about yesterday is over the last years, he's been her caregiver. Constantly he was sending out texts, and I talked to him on the phone, or I'd go see him. And he was constantly encouraging others how he was dealing with watching his wife die. You can't just have that. That's the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a believer. And so, as you turn to Acts chapter 10, and we think about the Great Commission, we're at another historical moment in the life of the church. And you notice the top of your handout, it talks about the Great Commission continues. And the reason Marcus and I came up with that tag for this sermon series is it's really important for us as the body of Christ to constantly be reminded and encouraged about the hope we have that your neighbors who are not believers don't have, your family members who are not believers, they don't have, your co-workers, they don't have, but you do. That's why the last thing Jesus said before he left the planet was go. Literally, what he said was, as you go, make learner followers of me. You teach them what I've taught you, and I will be with you until it's all over. I don't know when the Lord will take me home. I know that he will. But until he does, I get to be part of this great commission. And he himself set his church on that path. That's where we are. So when you get to Acts chapter 10, this great commission continues for all men. And that was one of the keys that Jesus emphasized to those Jewish men when he was saying to them, I want you to go. And as you go, you make disciples of the nations, plural, meaning Gentiles, They were all Jewish, and they were good with Jesus being the Messiah. But Jesus wanted them to understand that this commission that I give to you is not just for Jews. It's for Gentiles. They didn't like that. We're going to see. They struggle with that. We do the same thing. Even as Christians, we just want to surround ourselves with people who are like us. And I'm not talking about skin color talking about in all kinds of ways. And that's why the emphasis in the New Testament over and over and over again, particularly in the writings of Paul, is that the church is diverse. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's not male or female. It's not Jew or Gentile. It's not slave or free. We're one. We're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, we celebrate and we meditate 
on the incarnation. Try and wrap your mind around God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Because he loved us. And he's bringing us something we could not get anywhere else. That he, the sinless son of man, who was also the son of God, would deem to come as an infant, live perfect life, and then die in our place. We celebrate that. We meditate on that. So when you get to Acts chapter 10, it's a pivotal moment in the book of Acts. Warren Wiersbe, great theologian, put it this way. Chapter 10 is pivotal in the book of Acts, for it records the salvation of the Gentiles. Now, clearly, some Gentiles had been saved to this point. The Ethiopian eunuch, for example, and the scattered Jews had gone to different places. The, uh, so there were some Gentiles that had been saved. But what's about to happen in Acts chapter 10 is Peter, the Jewish leader of the church at Jerusalem, one of Jesus' three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, saw a glimpse of his glory at the transfiguration. They were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were the three that were always there, his inner circle. Peter, the leader of the church. Peter, the one who was the preacher on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Peter, the one who was called when the Samaritans were being saved to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's the third part of the Great Commission. You begin at Jerusalem, Judea, you go out to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, the nations. Now Peter is about to be challenged by God and sent by God to the home of a Roman centurion at Caesarea named Cornelius. And this is a dramatic moment in the history of the church. Everything shifts from a, even the Roman Empire up to this point. They simply looked, it was a fo- their focus was, well, all these Jesus followers are just a bunch of crazy Jews. But that's about to change. Peter is going to open the door. Remember Jesus talking to him about having the keys to the kingdom? He opened the door to the Jews at Pentecost. He opened the door to the, to the uh, Samaritans when he prayed as the authority for them to receive the same Holy Spirit. And now he's going to open the door to the Gentiles for them to receive that same Holy Spirit. And then he's going to pass that baton to Paul who will take it all over the world as the apostle to the Gentiles. And you see the hand of God over all of this, historically and scripturally, as God is putting it together. This moment is so significant as Peter takes the gospel into the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, a pagan's home. Talk a lot about that. It's so significant that Luke records it in Acts chapter 10. We're about to look at. And then he re-records it in Acts chapter 11. Very significant. Another historical moment and a shift. Here's the deal. For the church of Jesus Christ, his body, which he said the gates of hell will not prevail against, I will always have my church. We are in the church age. We are in the last days. Until Jesus comes back and takes us home, we are his tool. For the church, this moment in history, Acts 10, 10, to be what Jesus called them and commissioned them to be, 
They had to abandon their bigotry, their racism, their elitism. That we're Jews. We're God's chosen people. And the Gentiles are not worthy of hanging out with us. Even Peter struggled with that, as we're about to see. He's the, the leader of the church. They, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus' ministry was in, in Jerusalem, Judea. He spent his time with Jews. He went out of his way to go to Samaria to teach his followers that Samaritans are worthy. The Samaritan woman at the well, the parable of the good Samaritan, he went out of his way to emphasize to them, I love everybody. He limited himself in space and time to that area in Jerusalem, Judea, that area about the size of West Tennessee. But he said to them, I need you to go everywhere with this good news. And it is for everybody, not just Jews. And they did not want to do that. They thought they were better than Gentiles. They thought Gentiles were dogs. They thought God hated Gentiles. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, the church grew rapidly, but it still was primarily almost exclusively Jewish. They still met at Jerusalem primarily. They gathered around the temple. They prayed on the Jewish timetable. And the result was they began to feel like this salvation thing, this falling of the Holy Spirit thing, is just for us because we're special. We're the Jews. It's just the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies, which it was. But it was never meant to be just theirs. They were the tool that God had chosen. There was no Jewish nation until God created it. Abraham, Abram was just a wandering dude. That's a Hebrew term, a wandering dude. He was just out there in Ur of the Chaldees. And God said, I want you to give everything, get up and follow me. Go to a land I will show you. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteous. He got saved. And he followed God. And then he had Isaac, and you know the whole story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then you had Jacob's name changed to Israel and the 12, the patriarchs, the children of Israel. And in the story of their history, in the story of the Old Testament, it is they began to believe we're the only ones. God never intended it to be that way. He intended them to be the picture so the, the pagans, the polytheistic people surrounding them would be drawn to their monotheistic ways of one true God. And yet what began to happen is they began to adopt the, the polytheism and the paganism themselves as opposed to being separate. God said, be holy because I'm holy. So he says to the church, be holy because I'm holy. But not separate in the sense of you're not welcome Separate in the sense of being spiritual, drawn to the one true God, loving people where they are, as they are, and share the gospel with them. So what the Jews did in Acts chapter 10, historically, contextually again, is they began to set up barriers. They said, okay, we'll let them in, but they got to jump through these hoops they got to become a Jewish proselyte first. They got to keep the law. They got to get circumcised. All the males do. 
Then we'll let them in and they can be part of our church. God never told them to do that. That was their tradition. Like one of the seven words that kill every church. We've never done it that way before. They said, we've got to keep the law. And so they had teachers coming into the church that were saying, yeah, the law's important. You've got to keep it. Jesus had said it was important, and he did. What was important was the principles, not all the traditions and the things they'd added to it to beat people down. You should love your neighbor. Remember they asked Jesus to sum up the law? Pharisees asking, Master, how would you sum up the law? What did he say? Real simple. He said, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your being, and love your neighbor. You think Jews love their neighbors? Only if they were Jews. Only if they were Jews. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you love your neighbors. And then they ask him, well, Lord, who's our neighbor? Shouldn't have done that. Because then he tells them the parable of the good Jew. Nope. Matter of fact, there are two Jews in the parable. How good are they? They're selfish. They're self-righteous. They're selfish. And they're bigoted. We ain't crossing that road. We ain't. Uh Uh-uh. So Jesus said, no, the one who was the neighbor was the Samaritan, which to them was an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. So Jesus was teaching them. Now he's going to teach them again. So God has begun breaking barriers. In Acts chapter 8, that goes to the Samaritans. Acts chapter 9, as it ends, you can notice Acts chapter 9, the very last verse, right into chapter 10, it trans. Remember that chapter designation wasn't there when it was written. Acts 9, verse 43 says, It was that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A Jew would never spend time with a Tanner because they were unclean. That was the word, unclean and common, we're going to see, is the, the watch word, the key word that Peter's got to get past. So literally what God is doing in Acts chapter 10 is saying it's time for Peter to get it. It's time for my church to get it. We're opening this gospel to everybody on the planet. I want to read you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there. In Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says Paul, later the apostle to the Gentiles, writes these words in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Later, he would write in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember, writing to primarily Gentiles, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, the Gentiles looked at you and said, you're not circumcised. You're the uncircumcision. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So much in this that we're not going to get into. Just one note. As Paul's writing, Paul, who was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was legalistic to the court until he got saved. And we, we talked about that, Saul of Tarsus. When he's referring to blood, as Jews, the blood of the covenant was everything to them. Blood of bulls and goats and animals and all of that. 
What he's saying now, it's not that blood, that Jewish mindset of blood that brought you near. It was the blood of the Messiah, the Christ. That's why Jesus said, this is the new, new, new covenant in my blood. Got nothing to do with animals anymore. You don't need temple sacrifices. You've got me. I fulfill all that. That's what Paul's writing to these Gentiles. You're in because of the blood of Christ, not the blood of bulls and goats. The writer of Hebrews spends so much time talking about. Verse 14, for he himself, Christ, is our peace. He's made both Jews and Gentiles one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation that he might reconcile them, Jews and Gentiles, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The whole building, Jews and Gentiles together, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So now, Paul writes that to the Gentiles. Here's where we are. God is building his temple. And it has nothing to do with Solomon, Herod, Zerubbabel, or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Despite what some prophetic teachers will tell you. According to the word of God, where is God's temple? You can look to the person on your right or left and you're looking at one of the building blocks. Assuming they're born again, they're one of the building blocks in that temple. It's you. It's so exciting to understand what God is doing. He said, yeah, there was a time for a temple. But now you are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the habitation, the tabernacling place of God. We've been studying Hebrews in our, our Sunday night, Bartley and Wednesday night study here, and it's so cool to study Hebrews and begin to see how it fits together. It takes both the Old and the New Testament and puts them together. And the whole emphasis of the book of Hebrews is Jesus fulfilled that, Jesus fulfilled that, Jesus fulfilled that. Why the heck do you need that anymore? You don't. Why the heck was my part not the Hebrews part? You don't need that. You've got Christ. He is superior to all of that. Peter's about to learn that. Remember now, context, Peter is the leader of the church. Peter is Jewish, and he doesn't get it. I love this, and here's the reason why. I don't love the fact that it occurred, but here's what I love about it. The Bible is flat out honest. God had chosen Peter for a special task. Peter wasn't up to it. He denied Jesus. Remember, Jesus came back to him to, re- to re- reinstate him, to restore him, and asking three times, do you love me? And told him three times, I need you to feed my sheep. He wouldn't have been our choice. He was a loser. Aren't you glad God chooses losers? I am. I am, because I are one. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're going to have our flaws, our foibles, our mistakes. Here's what God says. Peter, get up. I chose you. I got a job for you. Now, he had no idea what it was going to be. But it was going to be important. You don't have any idea what God wants you to do. But here's what you do know. You're born again. You got a job, and it's important to the kingdom. You may not think you're important. 
But if you don't think you're important, you're calling God a liar. And I'll let you take it up with him. I don't care who you are. If you're born again, God has placed you in the body as he sees fit, 1 Corinthians, to do what he wants you to do, and it is valuable. It is valuable. What they're doing across the hall right there is incredibly valuable. We don't know all the value that will come out of it. Not yet. But it is valuable. Because they're teaching truth. So let's see what happens. Get to chapter 10. All of that's the intro. That's pretty good, right? Guess what we're not going to do today? Go ahead. We ain't finishing that. Yeah, you know what? We ain't nobody leaving until we finish that outline. That's what we No, because I'll fall asleep. All right. I've been on jury duty for the last couple of weeks, just a little side note. And God has a sense of humor because I, got, I was the very first person picked. The judge looked at me and said, you ain't getting out of this. I said, I, all right. So then they picked three people to do clerical work. First one pick, bingo. And I asked the jury foreman, I said, why would you pick me to do clerical work? He goes, well, I figured being a preacher, you probably organized. And I said, man, how many preachers you know? So I have to pay attention. That's the reason God did it, because if I didn't pay attention, I'd be sound asleep. It is so boring. It's a grand jury, and, and it's, I mean, hundreds of things you go through in a day. And my job, got a table, it's covered with stamps, and he reads the indictment, and i got to find the proper stamp, like right now, to pass. He looks at that, he goes, Mr. Lockley, I'm, 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 I'm working on it. I said, I told you not to pick me, but... He didn't find it funny. So I got to find the proper stamp to hand to the girl next to me so she can stamp the indictment. So I have to pay attention. However, the other nine people out here, there's three of us that are doing clerical up on the big table. The other nine that are out here don't have to do that, and one lady was sound asleep. (laughs) I felt so sorry for her because you have to raise your hand and vote on every indictment. I finally said, could I just prop my hand up? And he said, you need to quit trying to be funny. So anyway, she's sound asleep. And everybody has to vote. She has to have 12 yeses. And so they had to wake her up and ask her, do you vote true bill on this indictment? She goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, I thank God that I, because if I was out there, I guarantee you I'd been asleep. But anyway, back to Acts chapter 10. So God is going to take Peter. To open that door now to the Gentiles. So they too will receive the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. For Peter to accept Gentiles is going to be a huge moment for him. He still wasn't ready. He's still prejudiced. But let's look at what God is doing. First of all, God's preparation. It's been 10 years since Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews. And it's time, look at verse 14 of chapter 10. Verse 14. A voice said to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat, 13, excuse me. But Peter said, verse 14, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 28. Peter says to those at Cornelius' household, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God is at work. God is preparing Peter for what he's about to do. He's wanting them to note. This is the way it's going to be. We're going to do it my way, not your way. All right, chapter 1, or chapter 10, verse 1. God's preparing the moment, sovereign God. First person he's going to prepare is Cornelius. Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave his alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Cornelius, a Roman centurion from Caesarea. Caesarea was a Roman city about 65 miles west, northwest of Jerusalem. It's where Pilate lived. Uh, obviously, you know the name Pilate. It was dominant population. It was Gentile. There was a, a Jewish group there, a large Jewish group, but dominantly it was Gentiles. It had been rebuilt by Herod the Great. It had a temple there dedicated to Caesar, Caesarea. It was named to honor Caesar Augustus. We know about Christmas. It was the capital of Judea. Cornelius is a centurion. A centurion would be like, for us to understand from military terms, centurion would be kind of like a non-commissioned officer, kind of the backbone. Matter of fact, they were described in Roman historian Polybius described centurions this way. Natural leaders, but steady and sedate spirit. Men who would hold their ground ready to die at their post. And being a centurion, it's Latin for they were in charge of a hundred men. So he was a leader of men. Strong, reliable, responsible, fearless leaders. The backbone of the Roman army, they were called. Now notice verse 2. Fascinating. It describes him as a devout man. That literally meant, it says, one who feared God, he gave charitable gifts generously to all people. He prayed to God always with his whole household. There were two types of Gentiles who could be a proselyte into the Jewish community in those days. One was called a full proselyte. He would become totally submitted to all the Jewish rites and ordinances. He would get circumcised, and he would enter into a covenant privilege as a Jewish proselyte. Then there were those called proselytes at the gates. They still were outside the covenant. They hadn't been circumcised. They were still considered Gentiles. They believed in the monotheistic way of the Jews, but they hadn't bought in totally to be a full proselyte. Cornelius is one of these because the phrase, one who feared God, that was a proselyte at the gate. So that's where Cornelius is. He says he's a devout man, and that literally means his worship was, he was trying to worship the one true God. He was seeking. There were two, three, three things in the Jewish mindset that would describe you as pious or righteous or seeking God. One was praying. One was giving alms. And the third was fasting. Look down at verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. In the ninth hour I prayed. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So you see him doing all three things. He's a praying man, seeking God. He's fasting, seeking God. And he was a generous man. He is literally a truth seeker who has abandoned the polytheistic ways of the Romans. And he's trying to discover truth. Turn over for just a second to chapter 11 of Acts and look at verse 13. 11, 13. Verse 
He told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house who said to him, send men to Joppa, Cornelius, and call for Simon, whose name is, surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. God is preparing Cornelius, a devout man, seeking truth, asking God, how can I and my household be saved? So back to verse 3, chapter 10. 10.3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. We just saw and sent for Simon, Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Remember, we just saw he was seeking, Lord, how will I be saved? He will tell you. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Remember, he is a centurion. When they had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. It's fascinating. Again, just a little side note. Peter is 30 miles away in Joppa. Philip, if you remember who... God used to bring the gospel to the Samaritans. Philip lives in Caesarea. Why not Philip? Because Peter is the one God had chosen for this task as the leader of the church. Pentecost, Holy Spirit fell. Samaritans, Holy Spirit fell. And now the Holy Spirit's going to fall on Gentiles. It's the great commission historically, God establishing authoritatively, this is who I am. Peter's God's choice. The other reason is, and again, I love this because it's who we are. Here's the other reason Peter needed to be slapped around a little bit by his father to get his attention. You're a bigot. You're a racist. You're prejudiced. You got to get rid of it. Is there anything in your life sometimes that God says to you, hey, you need to get rid of that? Pride. Selfishness. I know where it's for me. Sometimes God has to get your attention. That's what's going on here. Because we're going to see Peter fade out and the Apostle Paul come on the scene. God has used Peter mightily. But this is one area of his life. Got to get it right. Remember, if the leader of the church gets it right, that's a big deal, isn't it? So that it can flow down. So he says, I want you to send for Peter. He will answer your prayer. God reveals more truth. You seek, you'll get. We're going to stop there today, and next week we're going to look at Peter and see what God did in his life. So here's my encouragement to you as we begin to wrap up our time together today. I want you to go ahead and get organized, and we're going to... I know you're getting organized because I hear all that stuff. In a moment, they're going to share a song with us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay seated for this song. And I want you to pray. If you want to stand up, I'm not going to, we don't have soldiers waiting to stop you. If you want to stand up, feel free to do so. But I really want you, just let them sing. And I want you to pray. I want you to contemplate. I want you to listen to what's being sung. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to. Listen. Contemplate. 
Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. God with us, the incarnation in the flesh. He came because he loves you. We have a message to share with people. It's not just Christmas is a joyful time, and it is peace on earth. What does that mean? It's that you can be saved. You can have peace in your heart. You can have hope. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let them lead us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you're God, that you're here, you're in our midst, that you love us. You sent Jesus to die for us. That Christmas is not, even though it's a great time of year for us as Christians, it's a greater time of year for us as an opportunity to love people, to give, just because you want to, just to be generous, but also to be reminded of the incarnation, Emmanuel, and celebrate that. I pray as believers, as we sit here during this song, we would meditate on who our God is in the flesh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.